Hello and welcome back to our podcast, our Sabbath School from Home podcast. We're very glad that you can be here with us as we continue our discussion on the book of Isaiah. My name is Cameron and I'm speaking to you now from Launceston, Tasmania. Uh, G'day, I'm Ken, also joining you from Launceston. And I'm Luke, joining you from uh, just north of the Central Coast. And I'm Lachlan, joining from Kurumbong. Last week, we looked at Isaiah chapter 1 and uh, picked out some ideas from that. The lesson for that week actually dealt with the first five chapters of Isaiah. And so uh, as we're trying to make an effort to to keep in track with the lesson quarterly, we're we're going to move on to Isaiah chapter 6, which is actually quite a well-known chapter. It's the one in which Isaiah is commissioned. He's he's given his ministry, he's he's called, and uh, the first... uh, well, at least some passages in this chapter are very well known indeed, and some of them appear quite often in the New Testament. Uh, in the first uh, seven verses, Isaiah sees a great vision, and he's very distressed uh, because he counts himself unworthy of this vision of grandeur, and uh, he is ritually purified. And we're going to start reading now from verse 8, and I might. I might uh, start, and I'm reading from the NIV. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, O Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Good. Uh, There's some bits in that, Cam, which which are somewhat troubling at first read. They are a second read, perhaps. And and a second read. Makes me, I feel feel quite sympathetic with Isaiah, actually. I... I uh, frequently have the experience of, of trying to tell things to people and uh, have them not understand it quite as, as much as I'd like as a, as a high school teacher. Of course, we all, if we're honest, have the experience on the other end where we've probably been a bit slow to understand things that are trying to be explained to us. Uh, but it does seem a bit of a worry that, that God seems to be recommending to Isaiah a course of action which will harden the hearts of the people and make their ears dull and close their eyes. And that's, that's not something I do as a, as a teacher, at least I, I hope I don't. It reminds me quite a lot, actually, of the story of Jonah, except it seems to be the opposite. In the story of Jonah, Jonah was the one who didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach because he knew that the people would listen and God would forgive them. So it's God <laughs> wanting to forgive the people and, and yeah. for the message of the prophet to actually be effective. And it's the prophet who doesn't want to be effective. And in this case, it's Isaiah going, well, how long do I have to do this thing where 
I'm I'm intentionally making these people not understand the message and not repent. And God's saying a very long time until everything is ruined, because that's what I want. And I it's it's the opposite. The character of God here seems to be the opposite. I'm I'm not sure that he's telling them to do that, uh, so much as he is uh, exposing uh, their uh, way of thinking and their way of seeing uh, and hearing. Um, but it says uh, telling it says it says that he's telling Isaiah. Yes, verse ten is very unambiguous. Yeah, well, well, but he says, "Go and tell this people: be ever hearing, but never understanding." So this is Isaiah talking to them and telling them, "This is to be your state: you are to hear, but not understand; um, you are to see, but not perceive; um, you are to have calloused hearts uh, with dull ears and closed eyes." Um, because if that didn't happen, you might be able to actually see what was uh, in front of you, the sort of things that Paul talks about in Romans. Do you know, Ken, now that you mention I think I have played these games with students. <laughs> I, at the start of every year, I tell my students uh, that I'm about to make them a very generous offer. I tell them that if I do maths tutoring outside of school, which I don't do so much anymore, uh, depending on the level, I may charge... 40 or 50 or $60 an hour. When I tutored at university, I was paid $100 an hour. And uh, But for them, because they are my students, I, I am willing to give them free tutoring. If they have questions, they can send me an email and I'll make myself available after school or at lunchtime. And then I tell them that the reason I'm making this offer is simply because I want to appear like a good teacher. It, it bolsters my image considerably and it gives me a good... Uh, sort of uh, insurance policy because if my students do poorly I can at least say in good faith I offered to help them and the reason why I can do this you know so confidently is because I know that it doesn't matter how often I offer to help my students they never come so that's why I'm standing up in front of them and offering to help them before school and in after school and lunch it makes me look incredibly generous and I know they won't take me up on it uh, and I'm waiting to be caught out on this and to be inundated by students and to have no free time because they're all taking me up on the offer, and one day it might happen. And when it does happen, the students will all do very well, but it never does. And <laughs> Well, uh, and, and is it like a little uh, like uh, a reverse psychology? Um, uh, you... Go, go on, keep going down the path you're going on. It will get you nowhere. Uh, mm, yeah. It will end up as a wasteland. So perhaps you ought come and see and listen and try to understand. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things that I noticed just about the the wording here in this passage. So the first one was in verse 8. Here I am, send me, uh, in the mouth of Isaiah. That reminded me of the story of Samuel who as a younger child in the temple, hears the voice of God um, and thinks that it's Eli calling him. And after a number of times, they realize what's going on. And the response is the same. Eli advises Samuel to say, here I am. Um, basically, I am listening. It's not quite the same as the verb to send, but it's a very similar sentiment. Um, mm. the, the other phrase that jumped out at me was in verse 11. And then I said, how long, O Lord? Of course, as an Adventist and a student of the book of Daniel, that is a refrain that is echoed very strongly in that sort of 
um, apocalyptic type um, view of, of wondering about the state of things and how is it all going to turn out. So I hear echoes there of Daniel. And the other one that I noticed was in verse 10. Make the heart of this people dull, their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they, and then it goes in reverse order, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts. So there's an inherent poetry in verse 10, and what that does is automatically make me um, question how, how much it is an instruction by God versus a, a bit like what you're saying, Ken, a, a bit of a, a, a teasing at them, a playing with them, a, an, an implication that, you know, I'm not actually trying to make your ears heavy and your eyes blind, but I'm reminding you that that's the state you're in and that if you don't really wake up, you're, um, you're in a bad place. I, I, and that's why I've made the reference to Romans. Uh, and, and in particular, I was thinking of Romans one twenty, um, uh, where uh, Paul says that God's invisible qualities are seen uh, through his creation. Um, so that uh, while you have eyes, you're not actually seeing as much as you ought to be seeing. And while you have ears, you're not hearing the things that you ought to be hearing. And while you have a mind... Uh, it's not comprehending the things that it ought to be compre uh, comprehending. So uh, let's open those things and let's see things as they really are and let's hear and understand things um, as they really are. We, we don't have any excuse for not doing it in one sense, Paul says. Uh, well, in fact, he says that expressly. Um, uh, and, mm -hmm. and, and, that's a, and, and it's a problem that I think we see everywhere in the world. Um, we see so much and we understand uh, so much. Um, not as much as we think we do often, but certainly from a material uh, perspective, um, our eyes have been opened to many things uh, through the use of science. Um, and yet we see everywhere still um, uh, a, uh, uh, an unwillingness uh, or an inability uh, to see the spiritual world. I think also of the uh, disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. Um, uh, they didn't see Jesus until their eyes were opened. Uh, mm -hmm. What is it uh, here that's leading these people that Isaiah is talking to to have their working physical uh, light perce perceiving orbs um, uh, but not seeing? Um, uh, and, and what is it that opens the eyes uh, for those people on the road to a mass? And, and what is it that makes us see those things that are uh, the invisible? I mean, the, the spiritual world is made up of those things that are not seen. Um, and Paul's very clear about this very often. Um, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, he says, fix your eyes on what he's saying. Some wonderful irony uh, in the statement. Fix your eyes on what is unseen. I mean, how does one do that? But I think this is the sort of thing that Isaiah is getting at, that, that we need to learn how to do this. And continually learn. You know, wherever we are, there will always be many things you are not yet seeing. Much of our perception of the world is based on things that we have not seen. Much of what we rely on as knowledge is, in fact, a reliance on the 
statements, research, understanding of other experts. Um, I don't know uh, what an atom looks like. Uh, I don't know what the subatomic particles are like. I have, uh, a, a, at best, um, a very uh, basic understanding of the term quantum physics, and yet I trust that there are people who've said these things. I, I've never seen any of that, and yet my eyes and my mind is open to it in the way that it's able to be uh, by what's been told to me by others. When, when I'm in court, I'm hearing I've not seen the events that occurred, uh, that I'm being told about. I'm relying on what others uh, are telling me uh, so that while I have eyes, uh, they're not actually, and ears, uh, um, I, it's not those perceptive mechanisms that I'm using uh, to understand. And, and most of our experience in life, I would venture to say, uh, is uh, less to do with those things that we see and hear the events that we see and hear and observe ourselves uh, and is uh, much more a reliance on things that we have not seen and things that we have not heard um, but which we seek to understand and comprehend um, uh, notwithstanding that lack of perception. Mm. Ken, as you've been saying that, I've just had a realisation here in Isaiah 6. So Isaiah is the relevant expert here because look what happens in the first first verses of isaiah 6 that we that we skipped over in the year the i'm King so Isaiah pleased died, you've come I, up with that <laughs> i saw the lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up so isaiah has seen the things unseen and while he's seeing that in verse 3 and one called to another and said holy 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 is the lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory. So Isaiah has heard the things happening in the realm unheard. And what is his response? His response is deep understanding in his heart. In verse 5, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he is transformed in his heart. And what happens? The burning coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. He has turned and been healed. The second phrase of verse 10, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed, is a direct description of what Isaiah has experienced. And so this chapter 6 of Isaiah sets up Isaiah as the relevant expert here to be speaking to people about the things that they may not have directly experienced or seen or heard or understood themselves. A bit like, can you have to trust a quantum physicist or, or whatever it may be? Um, and all of us at the moment are having to trust, you know, um, the, the virus experts and, and population health and immunologists and, and pandemic experts. Uh, for for making the right decisions, even though sometimes it interrupts our lives. Unless you're the current president of the United States, and yeah, right. you're a state <laughs> genius, and you well, know what you're doing. That's right. Without but, those but, experts, but. no. But I have to admit, by their fruits shall you know them. Um, yeah. <laughs> is it is it going to take too much time, Ken, for me to share my 
COVID conspiracy theory? <laughs> no, I, I, I think you should share it. Perhaps it can be cut out. Um, <laughs> before you share it, can I just can I just draw attention to this other interesting correlation between those who have unperceiving eyes, ears, and minds, and Isaiah? Because it's interesting that what he says is, "My eyes have seen uh, the King of the Lord Almighty." But what what is it that makes him feel unclean? It's his lips. Um, His lips are unclean. Uh, Not his eyes, not his ears, his lips. And it reminds me of uh, Jesus' statement, you know, it's uh, what comes out of the inside um, that makes one unclean, not what you take in. Um, Ah. uh, And I I thought, isn't that interesting? So you're, you're quite right when you refer to his heart because it's that which comes out of his lips uh, that that's the, that's sourced in his heart uh, that makes him feel unclean. And it's interesting that it's the lips that communicate to the ears uh, that aren't yeah. hearing. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting contrast between, between the eyes and the ears and the lips. <laughs> Cam, I think you should steer your... Um... Well, I back in March during the first lockdown, I, I met someone in the car park of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Launceston, who was adamant that uh, not only did he know the cure to all cancers, but he'd been shut down by the government because they didn't want anyone to, they didn't want cancer to be cured. Um, this this uh, person also elaborated to me exactly how COVID was all a hoax, and it got me a bit riled up. And I thought of a good response, and I've been waiting nine months to use it, but I've, I've not run into anyone who believes COVID's a hoax since. So uh, my creativity has been a bit wasted. But I'm just waiting for someone to declare COVID a hoax so that I can tell them that I, I think that uh, COVID is a, is a virus engineered by the government to cope with overpopulation and that they're trying to kill all, all of us, particularly the old people, which is why this virus is so successful at targeting old people. And that uh, one of the one of the crucial steps of their plan is to spread complacency about COVID. That will ensure it does the maximum number of damage in the community and that anyone who maintains COVID is a hoax is obviously in the pay of the government, actively trying to <laughs> just to spread complacency um, to ensure that the virus does the most, the most damage. So um, I'm waiting to use that one. But... Uh, that's Cons- unconnected. Cons- conspiratorial one-upmanship there, Cam. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> That's I believe there's a se- I believe there's a secret society responsible for manufacturing all the conspiracy theories in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but okay, joking aside, but also not joking aside. If if we do maintain that this is a bit of reverse psychology, which which I like. I like the idea because Isaiah is saying this to the people. He's God's not saying to Isaiah in private, by the way, I'm going to harden these people's hearts and they're not going to understand anything you say. That's not what's happening. God is actually saying to Isaiah, go and say to the people, do you know what? I don't think you're going to understand any of this. And and the idea of that being a bit of reverse psychology is, is a helpful lens for interpreting the passage. It does require you, though, to acknowledge the fact that maybe... Uh, God, when he speaks, is not always speaking seriously. Uh, and and the, Isaiah is full of this. We'll get on to it later. But there's a great passage 
in Isaiah 44, where he really rips into the people for idolatry. And it's just dripping with sarcasm. And God is saying with us, through Isaiah, you know, someone goes and cuts down a tree and he, sh- he shapes it and he chisels it and he takes, it, he takes some of the tree and he burns it and bakes his bread and he takes the other part of the tree and turns it into a god. Half of it is burnt and half of it he worships. And, and he's really sort of driving it home. He's, he's, not, he's not pulling any punches. He's um, working them fairly hard. I think that I like the idea that that uh, God is capable of jesting or provoking uh, a particular response or using reverse psychology. Uh, and it, it did make me think of a passage I read in the last week from um, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. And he was talking about how one of the, the central defining features of Christianity is that it has never taken itself too seriously. He said it's often been said that a characteristic of the great saints is their power of levitation. We might go further. A characteristic of the great saints is their power of levity. This has always been the instinct of Christendom, and especially the instinct of Christian art. Uh, Remember how Fra Angelico represented all his angels, not only as birds, but almost as butterflies. Remember how most of the earnest medieval art was full of light and fluttering draperies of quick and capering feet. He said, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. Isn't that a lovely thought? Yeah. Um, there, there, are, yeah. there are two things that uh, uh, come out of that for me. Um, one is that it was in an article in the record on the 19th of September by Kevin Wilson. Um, uh, and he's a, a fellow who has gone on the internet in a social, become a bit of a social media sensation uh, with his chai uh, tea recipes. Um, uh, and one of the things that he said is uh, that what his what he hopes to do is to provide a non-anxious presence in the world, and I, and I thought that, that was a lovely way of putting it. Levity is consistent with a non uh, with mm. a non-anxious presence. The other uh, thought that came uh, that uh, along similar lines was ask the question of yourself. How would you describe Jesus? Um, how would you? So what, what's he characterised by in his life when you read the Gospels? And going back to one of my uh, favourite authors, I was listening to uh, uh, a lecture by him um, uh, just earlier this week, uh, where he said he, he answered that question himself uh, by saying he was relaxed. Um, and when you look at Jesus, you can you can see a quiet confidence. Uh, he's not yeah. forcing things. He's not pressured about things. Um, he takes a relaxed approach to things. I think we could do well to do that. I'm not sure it's what yeah. Isaiah was doing here with his reverse yeah, but psychology. I see, but... some, I see some of the same. Uh, I, I agree with you, Ken. Um, and I see some of the same uh, levity, perhaps even sarcasm, sometimes irony, the, the, the full gamut of... of non-serious humanity also present in jesus i'm thinking particularly of of the phrase you know i didn't come to heal the the healthy but the sick and in in mark 2 verse 17 for example the esv renders it fairly plainly and when jesus heard it he said to them those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick 
I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. But, but the New Living Translation does with it the way I actually hear those words. Um, I have not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And what I think Jesus is saying, I, I genuinely hear Jesus in that phrase saying, listen, he's not saying some of you don't need my help. And your job is to work out which one you are. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think Jesus is saying, hey, you're really sick, but some of you don't even know it. <laughs> it's a similar sort of thing to, and, and I see it in a similar way. And it's, it's rendered really lovely in the, uh, in the, in the, Matthew movie in which Bruce Marchiano plays Jesus, um, uh, where Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount talking about um, you, you're trying to get a splinter out of somebody else's eye and you've got this huge log in your own. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and you see, you see the, the, the humour in it. What, what on earth do you think you're doing? You can't even see out of your own eye because you've got a log in it and you're trying to help somebody with a splinter in theirs. Yeah. Um, and, and you also see it in a, much more tra- tra- in a much more tragic way. Um in his um, uh, lambasting the uh, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, you're frauds. You 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 like tombs. You're looking lovely on the outside. And you've got maggots on the inside. Um, th- there's a there's a tragic humour in that, um, mm. in in the way that he approaches that. And I uh, I, th- I think there's a lot to be said for a laughing God. So we're. We need to pay a little bit of attention here to the last verses that we read. Uh, I found them a little bit difficult to comprehend, and I've been trying. Uh, in particular, verse 13, um, you know, the, the, the land has been forsaken, and, and God has removed his people away, and even though a tenth remain in it, it'll be burned again. And, and then it finishes with, the holy seed is its stump. Um, that's what it says in the ESV. I think uh, some of you have, have different phrases there in your translations. Am I correct in seeing here a kind of a kind of um, what's the word? A remnant. Am I correct in seeing here a kind of remnant imagery? There's there's within the the broad cultural group of the people of God, there is a a core who remain faithful to God. That's that's the image that is coming to my mind, but I, I'm just not sure if I'm steering in the wrong direction. Uh, I, that was the understanding that I think I have been left with uh, from my years in Sabbath school. Um, I, I, as I read it this time, it seemed to me that it was simply saying uh, there will be nothing left. It will be like a plantation with the windrows and the stumps. Uh left in the ground. Uh, that's it. She's all over. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? Again, this is connecting across because there's this is in verse 13, it we burned. There's the burning, um, which is connected to ideas of destruction and of purification. Uh, but up in the first uh, verses of this chapter, there was the burning coal touched to the lips of Isaiah um, and connected with this idea of taking away guilt. So it's connected with purification. I just, I just Googled, um, can an oak tree regrow from a stump? And apparently the answer is yes. Ah, ah. So that may help Good. with some of your imagery. 
I assume that in an agrarian society, everybody would know that, but none of us do. <laughs> yes, but can a terebinth regrow? <laughs> can a terebinth tree? <laughs> One um, believe it or not, that first Google result uh, comes from Isaiah 6. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. Terebin, terebin, well, it must be able to then. Yes. Um, <laughs> probably <laughs> is the answer. Yeah. I don't even know what a terebinth is. might just be an oak. Like, I've been looking at that passage you referred to in the New Testament about it's not the sick who need a doctor. It, it's worth turning to. I was going to suggest that we look at some of the places Isaiah 6 is quoted in the New Testament. And if we have time, we can do that. But that passage you referred to actually actually borrows a lot of the same themes. It's in the context of Jesus eating with tax collectors. And I've, I've just check, checked. It's in Matthew, Mark and Luke, I think. And the story is much the same in all of them. So I'm looking at the moment from Luke chapter 5. And uh, looking at about verse 27 onward, uh, Jesus goes to Levi's house. There's a big banquet. There's heaps of tax collectors there. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come. And they say, they say to Christ, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've not, not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, which is the passage you talked about, Locke, which actually gives the, the Pharisees an, an easy way out of this confrontation uh, if they so choose to interpret it in that way. They can say, oh, good, we're the, we're the goodies. Uh, but they, they're not content. And they go for Christ again because they're trying to get him. And in verse 33, they say, uh, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Mm. Uh, why are your disciples not taking things seriously enough? This is tying into the independent, independent observations we made about the fact that that religion is not always a, a serious business. Uh and Jesus says, well, look, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? No. The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they'll fast. There will be, you know, hard times as well as easy times. And he's clearly had enough of them because he says he's given them an easy out. Early on, he said, look, if, you, you know, if you're healthy, then just give me some space to deal with the sick people. Go off and be healthy. Be happy in all your righteousness over there. That's fine. And they've not taking them up on, on an easy exit. And so he rips into them in verse 36. He says, look, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he'll have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. The wineskins would burst and the wine would be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And I think what he's saying to them all is, honestly, you guys are not moving with the times. You're the old wineskins. There's nothing actually that can be done with you. Uh, you can't be fixed. Uh, you can't be reused. It's it's over. You're, you're completely missing it. And they, they should have ended this discussion much earlier when it would have gone better for them. 
And it does really tie into this idea of, of the eyes that's, that see but don't understand and the ears that hear but don't understand. Uh, the, these particular Pharisees, I know not all Pharisees fell into this category, but these particular ones had presumably worked themselves into a position from which or to which God couldn't reach them. He couldn't, he couldn't help them. I mean, that fundamentally, that's what I hear in this message in Isaiah 6. I hear the, the caution that it is possible to turn off your ears, to shut out the message and the reality of the things unseen and of God and his holiness and the, the, the glory, you know, all of these things that we got that glimpse into at the start of this chapter. The, the message in the latter half that we read is basically just be careful because it's possible. And in our world today, I think that this is possible. In, we've talked about this in earlier episodes of the podcast. It is possible to um, point your thoughts, to construct your, your priorities, to consume your media and your inputs, um, and to participate in life in a way that makes you progressively less and less capable of seeing and hearing and understanding the things of God. And there is a genuine caution here. As much as I do see it, I do see it as a bit of um, reverse psychology, a little bit of a kind of, um, not quite sarcasm, but but this this lighter side of God's communication. Um, it's it, it does contain that genuine caution. I don't think... I don't think it's very often that God shuts people off to him, although I am cautioned by remembering the story of Pharaoh in the Exodus. Um, there's some troubling elements of that if you stop and, and reflect on it too much. But it is genuinely possible for us to shut ourselves off. And, and again, uh, what would an episode of this podcast be without a reference to C.S. Lewis? So um, the, the dwarves in, in The Last Battle, the last of the Narnia series, who find themselves incapable of recognizing the reality of Aslan's country because they have so um, vigorously defended themselves from being sucked in uh, along the way during the story that they have made themselves literally blind to their new reality. So there is a caution uh, underneath all of this. I, I like it, Locke. It, it helps explain another difficult verse, actually, one that's always bothered me. And it is, it is a passage that quotes Isaiah 6. And it's in Matthew 13, which I had open in front of me. And, uh, and then Christ has just told the parable of the sower and the seeds. And his disciples come to him and ask, why do you, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he, Christ says, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That I find that a, a bit... Uh, in the past, I found it quite difficult. And then he says, then Christ says, this is why I speak in parables. It's so that... Uh, I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For the people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand in their hearts, and turn and heal them. And 
uh, Christ, as as is done in each of the Gospels and Paul in in some of his uh, preaching, uh, uses this passage from Isaiah in the same context that Isaiah uses it. There's there's a message that's trying to be imparted to the people, and and this passage is quoted. The verse about whoever has will be given more and whoever doesn't have will have it taken away has never made sense to me. But in the context of your comment, Locke, about the choices we make affect how possible it is for God to reach us. Again, this is an example of uh, where sometimes we take Jesus' statements as being uh, instructions or... Um, uh, indications of what uh, God will do or actions that we should take or actions that God will take when in fact he is simply making uh, an observation about reality. Uh, and In other words, it's descriptive as opposed to prescriptive. He's not, he's not describing what he wants to happen. Yeah. He's describing what actually happens. And, and the people who make a small effort to try and reach God become the sorts of people who tomorrow can make a la- who are capable of making a large effort which is and, precisely and are... why he says seek and you will find knock yeah. and the door will be open to you and this is the reverse of that uh, if you don't seek it you're not going to find it if you don't look mm. for it you're not going to see it if you've got ears but you're not listening with them you're not going to hear it it's not only that Ken it, the inference is if you have ears and you're not using them to hear tomorrow you will be a little bit more deaf a little bit less capable yeah. of even if you wanted to even that those who who don't have even what they do have is taken from them mm. and the reality is uh, i can speak to the physical reality of that um i've recently in the last couple of years taken to using hearing aids and one of the reasons i've done that uh, is because there are studies that show uh i have i have a moderate hearing loss uh, and there are studies that show um if you do not maintain your hearing, you lose cognitive ability. And uh, so it, it's a simple physical uh, and reality. Uh, and that's why I've taken to using the hearing aids even with only moderate hearing loss because I want to maintain uh, my brain function uh, at its full level. There comes a point in time where if you cannot, if, if you uh, don't hear the sound, you then cannot hear the sound. Um, so um, uh, that's an interesting uh, take on that. I think that there's a profound idea here that we that we could perhaps dwell on as we finish uh, and linger on after this episode finishes, which is the verse after in Matthew 13. After Jesus quotes this passage from Isaiah, He says to his disciples, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Jesus is putting himself, the the incarnation of God as man and the ultimate revelation of God and his purpose and his character, as the thing to be seen. So I, I think that I think that's something that we can we can think on as we close. The entire point. And I wonder if we might 
also closed then one further step along with the aspiration, I think, that it is that Jesus has uh, for us that he speaks about at the very end of this parable of the sower in Matthew uh, 13 and verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Mm. Uh, may it be uh, that we will hear, understand and produce that crop. And and may we all individually, and it's very easy to point the finger at larger church structures, but it's a challenge for us at the individual level as well. May we be a bit less quick to celebrate the things we do understand and to be content with them. And may we be a little bit more intent at seeking out things we don't yet understand at pushing the edges of the knowledge of our knowledge of of, of trying to find the what the next new idea is that, that God's trying to share with us hmm. yeah that's excellent well we might leave it there we um we're running out of time I'm sure there's lots of other ideas. Uh, it's been a while since we've mentioned the email address, but it's still running. So if you have any comments or questions or any feedback, then please uh, don't hesitate to email us on sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com and we'll be very glad to, to receive your emails. Thank you for joining us for this week's discussion and we hope you join us again next week.